What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going. New week here on the call up. I'm Aaron Layton. He's Jack McMullen, and we are talking top shortstop prospects for 2024. We promised we were going to do it last week, but then we got a little bit of trade activity. And then we could have probably delayed this episode again because we had a little bit more trade activity, but we decided we're going to save the conversation around some of these trades for the next episode on Wednesday, where we'll be talking about Prelander Baroa. We'll be talking about Zach Deloach. We'll be talking about Christian Mena, and even Dominic Fletcher. A lot of interesting trades. The White Sox, your, your White Sox were busy, Jack. So we will get to that on Wednesday. But we're here to talk about the top 10 shortstop prospects in Major League Baseball today. I also have 20 to 25 minutes on Matt Gage, the 30-year-old right-hander that was the key piece in the return for Caleb Ferguson, who went from the Dodgers to the Yankees. So more on 30-year-old Matt Gage, the former Siena Saint, on Wednesday. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, It's got to be the oldest prospect moved in a while. So I was kind of reading through. You know how like you go on Twitter as soon as this happens and you update and update and update. And each tweet, there seems to be more and more information about the return. Like, hey, two prospects, one's in the DSL. This is that guy's name. Another is a quad A guy. This is that guy's name. Full return. I saw quadruple A pitcher and far off Dominican summer league uh, arm or something like that. And then the first one announced was Matt Gage and they called him a quad A prospect. That's kind of mean. That's that's also kind of an oxymoron too. It is. It is because quad A and prospect don't jive at all. But um, yeah, he's 30. He's had two cups of coffee in the big leagues at this point. I, I don't think you can call it a prospect. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, but we'll, we'll we'll break into that a little bit further uh, on the next episode. But again, we're here to talk shortstops, and we're just going to jump right into it before we we get into the top ten. And as always, those who are watching on YouTube can follow along with 
the the videos and, and the articles. But of course, the link is also in the episode description. This will give you a pretty good gauge also of what the top 100 will loosely look like, at least positionally. Uh, there might be some 11th hour changes, but we're ranking for 2024. And I think it's very unlikely that, you know, we'll, we'll move any of these guys as we continue to kind of flesh out the, the top 100 update that will be ready to go. It's not even an update, actually. It's the first ranking for 2024. So looking yeah. forward to getting that out there. But before we get into the to number 10, honorable mentions, other names that we considered. The one tricky part with this, too, is like Adel Amador would obviously be a top 10 shortstop prospect. He'd be way up there for us. But with how much action he's seeing at second base and how confident we are that he's probably going to move to second base. That's a guy that we're going to rank with the second baseman. But generally speaking, it's, there's no, I would say clear cut parameters as to why we rank a certain guy at second or shortstop. Other than if there's less than a 20% chance that we think he's going to stick it short, I'm I'm going to just rank him at second base. Uh, Or or you could look at it the other way around where he's going to need a a better than 75% chance of sticking a shortstop. Uh, Or at least we got to feel pretty good about it uh, to to, to rank them. Otherwise, it's kind of backwards because the whole point is, are they going to stick there? And then how good are they going to be there? And all of these guys, I'd say just about every single one of them have a very good chance of sticking. Several of the honorable mentions have not quite made it to where they are – Fully being moved to second base, but I think in the next year's rankings, they'll probably be some of them will probably be ranked at second base. Yeah, I would think so. Second base or like maybe center field, maybe a corner outfield spot, like our first honorable mention, Luis Angel Acuna. And and I'm going to kind of tee you up for our six honorable mentions and you give me your one to two sentence quick elevator pitch on this guy, why he's not in the top 10, why he can move into the top 10 with a strong start to 2024. Luis Angel Acuna of the New York Mets, previously with the Texas Rangers. Why is he outside the top 10? Why could he move in? So I think just outside because of a little bit of a slower finish to the year and just kind of trying to figure out what it all looks like. I think the defensive ability at, at shortstops somewhat underrated for him. I think he actually has the ability to stick there. Obviously, people are keen on moving him because – well, there's that Lindor guy at shortstop at the major league level, but I actually think he can defend there. I think he can play all over, but there's just some things about how much impact's going to be there. Uh, is the hit tool totally going to continue to translate? I actually think it will. I think he's made a lot of really good improvements. I think he was one of the guys that was probably the closest to sneaking in at 10, and it was more of just who is at number 10 and, and how rock solid the top 10 prospects are. It's less of an indictment on Acuna because he did tap into a little bit more juice. He did start to you know hit the ball in the air a little bit more and Uh, Again, I think that the defense is really underrated and obviously the speed is great. Who is the better prospect? Like before we move on to the next honorable mention, who is the better prospect in your mind? If uh, if Ronnie Mauricio didn't blow out his knee in the Dominican Winter League or Luis Angel Acuna, like Mauricio absolutely would be an honorable mention if he didn't suffer that injury. Yeah, and and Mauricio, we're, we're almost just kind of leaving him off just because he's not going to play the entire year, and we might as well rank players who are going to play. But as you mentioned, definitely would be you know at least an honorable mention. I think would have a strong case right at number ten too. If he didn't blow it out, I'd say it's it's Mauricio just because the ceiling, right? I mean, the guy hits the living crap out of the ball, and just slowly but surely, it's been slow, but it seems like he just chips away at that chase rate and just gets a little bit more polished at the plate, just ever so slightly. And we saw that at the end of the year. So I think from that lens, it's like he continues to get a little bit better, a little bit better. He's a prospect fatigue, like poster boy in terms of someone that just is, I think everybody's kind of like sick of talking about, but you realize how young he still is. He could still 
develop and and figure things out. And I think he continued to do that. We saw him off to a torrid start in the winter league before messing his knee up, which, which stinks. But I, I did really like a lot of the things that we saw from him last year. And I mean, you saw just the way he can hit the ball. It's 70 raw power I, if, as a switch hitter. It's hard to, it's hard to bet against that. Even if, uh, yeah, even if there's some concerns with the approach. Prospect fatigue is a similar sentiment with our next honorable mention, Marco Luciano of the San Francisco Giants. And he clearly has red flags. He has bounced up and down top 100 list for the last four years, three years at least. Why is he outside the top 10? Yeah, this is probably the one that will get the most blowback on, right? Um, Giants fans tend to to be very vocal with it, which I love. Uh, but uh, I know we got some. We got some blowback on Harrison. Too. I promise I have nothing against the Giants. I actually really like the system. I think Giants fans will be excited about some of the other guys that we have ranked pretty high, and especially when the top 100 comes around. But with Marco, I, I struggle to, to see where it's all going to come together because I think with Ronnie, you have, you have a track record. And I think it's kind of selective when people are applying – uh, you know, I think it's kind of weird to, to be maybe out or lower on a Ronnie Mauricio and then very high and excited about Marco Luciano. I think they both are are very similar for a lot of reasons. And when you specifically look at at what Marco Luciano has or or hasn't done as a pro, I, I think people might be surprised when you look at the track record or maybe lack thereof. Like he's had some flashes of of good numbers, you know, at, at stretches, but he hasn't really compiled a great season yet. In the minor leagues, like he's had some some good stretches, again, a good season, but I have yet to really seen it all come together for Luciano in, in a hundred game sample. He's battled injuries, and I know that that's a little bit out of his control, but still baked into the prospect assessment. He's d- improved defensively at shortstop to where I think he's actually a fine defender there, but but so is Ronnie. Uh, yes, everybody talks about the power. They gush about the power. Yeah, he hits the crap out of the ball. So does Mauricio, right? So I think they're more similar than people want to give them credit for. And and Mauricio with a little bit more of a track record here. But it's it's the whiff for me with Luciano. Yes, he's more patient, and that helps a ton. He walks, but there's a lot of swing and miss. I don't know if he's shown that he can get into the power consistently enough in games to really say, oh, that's fine. He'll be a three-true outcome shortstop. And if you are going to be that three-true outcome shortstop, I'd rather it look more like Carson Williams where – He's playing elite defense at shortstop, or at least plus yeah. defense, um, and and getting into the game power a bit more, hitting the ball in the air more. So I just think there's too many moving parts with Marco Luciano. He's still just 22, so you know it could all come together. But right now, it's hits the ball really hard, and what else? What you know? What else really gets you going about him? He's not going to be a, a menace on the base paths. He's a good to, to find defender at shortstop. He walks. That's great, but what's the what's the calling card outside of the raw power here game power <laughs> i don't know they, it's not there yet and that's power the, is the card yeah 17 homers in 107 games last year across every level so yeah, i want to see it come together i think it can and he could be one of those guys that ends up you know you look back and say wow you know we ranked him really low and he turned into a star i think he's got that ability but if yeah. we're assessing it in a way that hey uh, would I rather have Luciano over this prospect based on his likelihood of contributing at the big league level? Uh, I think the 10 guys that we ranked, I'd, I'd just rather have at, at this stage. Yeah. A, a totally different offensive profile with our next honorable mention before we get to three draft guys. Some in the industry think Brian Rocchio is a top 20 prospect in baseball. Why do you think he's outside the top 10 shortstop prospects in major league baseball? Look, uh, I think he's a top 100 prospect. Um, you know, I, I I think if you value defense above all, 
uh, you can maybe make the case that Brian Rocchio is a uh, top 20 prospect in baseball, but he is a guy that at this point, I think what you see is what you get, right? It's going to be mm-hmm. fringy power. It's going to be an average to, uh, you know, I think above average hit tool and he's going to play great defense at shortstop and he's got great makeup and he's a switch hitter and he's a really safe prospect and he's really solid and I like him. But, you know, if he was a top 20 prospect in baseball, I think he'd probably get a little bit more run uh, with the Guardians maybe over the last year because, look, I mean, he's produced at the upper levels. I think think he's been really consistent, but the ceiling's somewhat limited. Uh, The the approach could catch up to him a little bit more, you know, at the big league level. He does get aggressive against secondary stuff, but – you know, I, I think the makeup really is is something that endears him to to certain people that you know obviously really he has he has some big fans out there. But I, I think yeah. the limited ceiling and and kind of he stalled out a little bit. I th- I think it's just it's hard to for me to put some other guys over him or, or for him, me to put him over some other guys. I should say. I think you might be being nice by calling the power fringy. I think that might be overselling it. He's he doesn't have juice. He's like five to six homers a year. He can spray some doubles, surely, but like it's bat to ball and defense. It's it's Stephen Kwan of the infield. And and that's the thing. And so it's like and the bat to ball is not elite. It's it's good. You know, so if it's 85% zone contact, the power is not off the charts. The power is below average. Yeah, I want to see the hit tool be off the charts at that point then, or I want to see you walk at a really impressive clip or, you know, it's just offensively, you're looking at a likely 720, 730 OPS at the big league level, but with great defense and the ability to steal some bags and stuff, that's, right. that's a good player, but you're, you're shooting and hoping for so much more with these other guys. And I also think that some of these other guys have already solidified a, a pretty close to that floor as well. Yeah. And a bulk of that OPS comes from the OBP department, which is not, you know, like in 2024, that's not the valuable thing. You want slug to usurp OBP. Tying a bow on the three honorable men or on the six honorable mentions, we have three draft guys. First one I want to talk about is Arjun Namala with the Toronto Blue Jays. I have that feature that MLB Network did on him, kind of like bookmarked. I'm going to go watch that feature. I I just saw that yesterday, actually. I was scrolling on MLB TV, just seeing if there was any like winter league, just random games on or anything. And then I saw that feature. So I'm actually looking forward to watching that, too. Yeah, I'm going to go watch that. But obviously, he's got a ton of talent. And you were one of the first movers on putting him on a top 100 list. And now it feels like he's on most heading into 2024. I'm excited. I'd like, you know, I wish I could push him higher, uh, but I can't reasonably because we don't have much of a uh, sample or much, you know, we haven't seen a ton from him yet, but just on the limited action, it's been so impressive both on the high school circuit and then just very, very limited professional reps to be excited enough about him to have him right there and have him as a top 100 guy. But it's just really about how far off he is and, and just how early it is for him. I can't really poke any specific issue because there really hasn't been enough opportunity to to do so. Does Tommy Troy of the Arizona Diamondbacks have an issue in his game? It feels like he's 50 to 55 across the board. I would say the one concern would be, does he play shortstop at the highest level? Right. Like, yeah. is it going to look like that at the highest level? Because if the arm is is fine. The range is a little fringy. The actions are, are, are fine. So like, I think it could be a solid shortstop but I, I think that might be the question is is he stretched a little thin at short but in terms of of the bat to ball I'd argue it's closer to a 60 you mentioned you know the the power like that's easily 50 uh or at least it can be as he continues to 
to fill out and, and, and grow a little bit more into his body. Cause I do think there's still a little bit more room in there, but um, I, I think it's, it's a really safe profile. As you mentioned, it's just average or better across the board. The one question would be, does he stick it short? Gotcha. And then last honorable mention is Kevin McGonigal, who was second round pick of the Detroit Tigers. This is a guy that a lot of people fell in love with during the draft process as a Northeast high school bat. It doesn't happen often. Um, there's typically one guy per draft cycle where that is the case for either a Northeast college guy or a Northeast high school guy. And this was the guy in 2023. He's just so polished, man. At 18 years old, you know, even just in, in limited action, what we were able to see him doing low A, such an in, insanely good feel to hit, uh, such an advanced swing, so patient, really good feel for the zone. Uh, I, I, everybody that I was able to even talk to that even either played against him or with him or, or had seen him play, you know, in different aspects of the industry, always said the same thing. Like McGonagall is really standing out. And, and in fact, like not saying he's going to be better long-term, but in terms of when they got there and, and how they performed, McGonagall looked far more ready, uh, you know, than Max Clark. And that's not just stat line scouting. That's in terms of, of when you watch the games, when you watch the at-bats, when you saw just kind of what was going on there, McGonagall surprisingly was, was just much more advanced. Again, that doesn't mean that in five years he's going to be the better player. And that's why Max Clark is the higher rated prospect, but it's impressive if you're you know, top five pick who, you know, didn't disappoint by any stretch. Clark was just showed a he lot of good. really good things, yeah. but it's impressive when one of your later picks, who's also a high school guy, who's also not from a hotbed of, of, of high school talent comes in and just instantly makes an impact and looks really, really good. The only question with him will be again, does he stick it short? I, I'm not sure yet. I didn't think the defense looked bad at all. The arm's a little bit of a question, but the bat is is what it's all about here, and it's a really good one. So you just kind of pissed me off a little bit there. You think Indiana is not a high school hotbed? Uh, I, you tell me. Do you remember Ash Russell? God, yeah, he was a barely. star. A star at Carmel High School. <laughs> yeah, it's not a hotbed. So, yeah, you're right. Two non-hotbeds. Uh, Clark was good. McGonagall was great in his pro yep. debut. Uh, it's time for the top 10. You, obviously, you're going to lead us through the top 10. But before that, haters, if you're in the comments saying, where's Jet Williams, go look at the second base prospect rankings. Yeah. He's on there. And spoiler yeah. alert, he's number four on there. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's another one where it's like, yeah, he hasn't played second base much. This is a rare instance where it's just, I'm still just incredibly confident that he's not going to play shortstop. I'm not trying to knock on the guy because I, I love him. Jet Williams has become one of my favorite guys to watch do his thing. Um, and we were talking about like one of the most like upsetting and glaring omissions in the midseason update in 23. And the more I dove into him, the more angry I became with myself to not put him on there. And we, we, he climbed up very quickly. Uh, but I think that speed is best used in center field or second. I think second base, he could be just more sheltered, but there's, there's some issues with the actions. There's a reason why the fielding percentage was like 900. I don't usually look at fielding percentage, but you know, when you can see some issues defensively and then you can just point towards that and say, here you go. Um, there were some stretches where they, they straight up just took him off a shortstop and moved him over to second, like in the middle of a double header. Right? It just, it, it, the defense is, is not going to be, very good at shortstop. And I think they see a guy with elite speed. That's a great athlete that could probably go get it in center. And that's why he started to play more games there. So he might end up being in the center field rankings, depending on how we see him used this year. But when you look at the organizational depth chart, and then you look at, you know, how quick he can climb because of the offensive ability. 
I think that we're going to see him get a lot of action at other positions uh, because of where they're at with some of these shortstop options that they have. Yep. Right into the top 10. And number 10 is, I got to update the team name there. He's no longer an Oreo, oh. but <laughs> but we did switch them on their team prospect rankings. 10 is Joey Ortiz. And Ortiz is a guy that is now suffering from the old prospect fatigue, I think, because he was blocked and it was unfortunate. And also, you know, Westberg just kind of a little bit more impactful offensively, I think, at this stage. And he ends up kind of taking a little bit more of the responsibility. And Ortiz, somewhat of the odd man out there in Baltimore, he ends up getting moved. We talked about that trade. If you want to hear more about that. Go check out our last episode where we broke down that that Corbin Burns deal and where Joey Ortiz fits in with the Brewers. And, you know, it sounds like some reports are that Adamas might be getting shot now, too. So it looks like Ortiz could be playing shortstop where he will instantly be an impactful defender. He will instantly be a very, very, very good defender. And I, I linked in that episode prior um, the, the whole breakdown of his defensive prowess and, you know, just just the threat of some of my favorite plays that he made during the year. Crazy range, great instincts, can make throws from all different angles. Like that's going to help him right away. The other thing that I think is going to help him right away is above average bat to ball skills and, and above average raw EVs. The problem is you might see and it's kind of rare to see this dichotomy if you're following along via the article linked or watching on YouTube. But you'll see 55 raw power and then 40 present game power and 45 future game power. It's because I just think it's going to be the nature of, of, of who he is as a hitter. The swing is very flat. It's why he makes so much contact, but he's also aggressive, which I think limits his ability to you know really let it eat and try to lift and, and do damage. That part I think can improve. And that's why I think he can get to 45 game power, but the 90th percentile exit velocities are above average. He hits the ball really hard, but it's just on the ground. And I don't know if you want to totally overhaul that. We talked about that, right? Like, do you want to totally change your whole swing path? Probably not. He could make some subtle tweaks to get that launch angle up from five degrees. Like five degrees is incredibly, incredibly flat. Uh, but even then, with how hard he hits the ball, he should still be a high BABIP guy. He runs pretty well. Uh, and I think he can get away with higher ground ball rates when you're playing great defense and you're hitting the ball hard. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the Tim Anderson thing. And everybody was saying like, oh, the BABIP's going to go down. The BABIP's going to go down. He, he sprays hard ground balls. When you do it for like four years, like Tim Anderson did, and obviously this past year is the outlier because he was really bad. Um you might just be a high BABIP guy. So the, the yeah. best outcome offensively for Joey Ortiz seems to be Tim Anderson, where he's going to flirt with 300 all the time. He's only going to hit eight to 10 homers, but he's going to get his doubles. He's going to be active enough on the base paths. And man, he's a top flight defender. He's way better of a defensive shortstop than, than TA really ever has been. Oh, hundred percent. And that's the exciting separator. And, and, you know, is he going to be as elite bat to ball wise? Probably not quite, but he also hits the ball harder. If I'm not mistaken, I don't have, you know, TA's 90th percentile at his, you know, at his peaks in front of me, but here's the interesting thing. I'd, I'd almost love to, to pull this at one of these days. Who are the guys with the highest 90th percentile exit velocities and the lowest slugging or the lowest home run output. And, yeah. and I think Ortiz would have to be up there. 90th percentile of 106 miles an hour, but Damn only those nine home runs last year. Here's the thing though, Jack is he does hit plenty of line drives. And when you hit him hard in the gaps, you're going to be running for extra bases. And that's why he had 32 doubles. So he still slugs 485 last year. It's not always going to translate the same way to the big league level, but even if he's slugging in the 420 
you know, 430 range, that's going to play with the way that he's able to defend and, and the bat to ball skills. And even including you know, a little bit of a shaky big league cameo, he saw 313, 366, 485 last year. Like, what else could you have wanted from him after a scolding hot finish to 2022 and, and tangible improvements on the underlying batted ball data? Do you have average exit velo in front of you? Um, I could very quickly. I think I actually have it in the write-up right here. Yeah, he, it jumped six miles per hour to 91 miles per hour. 91. Uh, this past okay. year. Because I've got a massive game. Yeah, huge. I've got qualified hitters here with an average launch angle around five degrees. And I want to find a guy who is around 91 miles an hour in terms of average exit velo. And the guys that kind of fit into that bucket, William Contreras, 91.3 average exit velocity, a 4.7 degree average launch angle. Orlando Arcia, five degree average launch angle, but an 88.2 average exit velo. 91 in that range is Jesus Sanchez. Yandy Diaz hit it harder. Um, Michael Garcia, who a lot of people seem to like. Dude, Bo Bichette was six degrees and 90 as an average exit velo. So we're, we're talking about guys. Obviously, he's not going to be Bo Bichette offensively, but we're, we're talking about successful hitters that produced. He can still be successful and produce. That was great stuff right there, dude. You're that welcome. was quick on your feet stuff right there. Uh, that, that was actually really insightful and helpful. And, and I think it's a you got part it. of the reason why they probably looked at Contreras and, and saw the bat of all down. And they're like, okay, well, why are we going to be put off by Ortiz's? And um, yeah, again, he still has, if he can leverage his hitters counts a little bit more, right. And just know two Oh three, three, one count. All right. Now I'm going to look yeah. for something elevated and try to let it eat and, and try to lift. Like that's what Contreras does. Uh, and maybe Ortiz can kind of develop that nuance a little bit more to his, to his approach and, and be able to squeeze out a couple extra home runs a year because you know he's got the the power, the raw power to do so. Yeah, uh, that compliment you just gave me, don't do that again. Because what it what it did was it just went right to my head, and that okay. only makes your life harder. So don't okay. compliment me moving forward. All right, well, all right, well, I'm sure you'll mess up within the next nine players here, so I'll, I'll be yeah. sure to call it out. Uh, which brings us into number nine, Carson Williams. And th- this is a tough player for me. And, and I know I talked about like what, you know, Marco Luciano does and doesn't do and and why I'd rather see it look something similar to Carson Williams. Um, and even with Carson Williams, I'm like, ah, this is really hard to, to dissect uh, because with, with him and, and the race have, have a really good piece here that I think, you know, could be um, uh, their future at shortstop if, if they want him to be. Uh, but the challenge is, and I got to see a good deal of him in, in the Arizona Fall League, which was nice and, and helpful because I he was probably top top of the list of guys. I just wanted to get an in-person look at, see him kind of go about his business, see the moves in the box, see him pitch to pitch. And, and I watch it on, on video, but it's just one of those guys. I just wanted to see if there was anything else that I could catch, you know, in person. And and really just the one thing for me is is it's just a, a bit of a stiff operation. And when you're when you're stiff and and not as adjustable, like he's a great athlete, but it seemed like he kind of has one swing for one spot. And that was the thing that stood out to me. So when, when you look at Williams, he hits the living crap out of the ball. Another guy, 90th percentile exit velocity of 106. We've seen him hit absolute nukes over 450 feet. Home runs 111, 112 miles per hour. And he doesn't turn 21 until the end of June. But you also see that just there's nothing more frustrating when when you see a guy take the same swing at like 
three consecutive breaking balls. Right? And, and that just seemed to be where he was at, where it's just there was one swing for one spot a lot of the time. And if a ball looked like it was going to start in that spot and broke down from there, he didn't really have the adjustability to, you know, have those ass out singles or, you know, be a little bit fooled and still be able to throw his hands at a ball. It's like he was getting the same swing off. And if he connected, it was crushed. If he didn't, uh, it was a lot of in zone whiff. And that's why we saw his own contact rate right around 75%. Uh, but the encouraging thing is he hedges that with low chase. He demolishes fastballs. Uh, and yeah, at the top of the zone, they can give him some trouble. Same thing with everybody, but he does hit fastballs, you know, belt high in that area really, really well. Um, and he's going to draw his walks and he hits the ball in the air. So there's a lot to like, but I want to see a little bit more malleability in that swing. Is it long? Like, is that the problem? Because he is a long guy. That's what I've taken away when I see the low A, high A highlights is like, he's young, he's lanky. Obviously, like that helps defensively. And, and he's a really fun watch defensively because he controls those long limbs really well, but that could probably be something that kind of dings him at the plate. No, no, no doubt. I think, I think it's that classic. You talk about like the levers, like it's the classic, these levers create a ton of whip and a ton of bat speed, but his swing gets armsy for sure. I think like armsy and long can pretty much be synonymous there. And you'll see some swings because his lower half's pretty uninvolved at times. And, it just seems like it's a lot of arms there, which is remarkable that he's able to tap into so much power. But I'd almost, I'd almost like to see him just tinker a little bit more. Like it just was the same look. And then in the fall league, that's usually where guys tinker. And, and it just was very minimal adjustments. So I'm hoping that he emerges in, in, in 2024 and you know, this season now in double A, which is going to be a big test for him over the course of the full season and, and has some, you know, some adjustments there and, and tweaks some things because he's still just 20. He's got some time to work through it. And if he spends most of the year in double A, that's totally fine. So uh, I, I'd like to see some adjustments, but to answer your question, yeah, it does get armsy and long. And, and when you're armsy, it, it's just, it's hard to have that adjustability and it's hard to be able to hit breaking balls the, the way that you you should. And he hit a buck 74 against breaking balls last year. So, uh, you know, that, that definitely was a, a big challenge for him, but that said defensively, he's fantastic. Rocket for an arm, moves his feet really well for a bigger guy. Uh, actions are super smooth, good instincts. And that's what really elevates the floor. Even if the hit tool is a, a 30, plus power, he hits the ball in the air a ton. He can run a little bit with plus defense at short. Like that, that can play. But he's got to be able to even hit at a you know 30 level at, at the yeah. big league level, which is you know 230 batting average-ish. He could succeed with that but he's got to even be able to do that. And he's got to get into the power consistently if he's doing that. Right. Um, last thing on, on Carson Williams, you said he could be the Rays' future at shortstop if they want him to be, who are the other options? Assuming Franco is out of the picture, assuming Wander Franco is a, is a non-factor. You have to plan for life without Wander Franco. Camonero uh, might play some short at the beginning of the year, but the long-term home seems to be third base. Mead somehow the long-term home seems to be second base at this point. Like, yeah, his arm is just kind of brutal. Yeah. Is there another option? Uh, like at a slave is Basabe, but Williams clears Basabe by a good bit. Yeah, it's probably him. You know, it's a good point. Honestly, it's, it's, it, the answer is just him. Uh, it, given the situation that they have now, I, I, I think that would be the one side of it as to why they could push him a little bit more aggressively, just knowing that the defense is good. Uh, I know that they were probably hoping that 
Komenaraz would 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 be better, but he has just not been that impressive at the lower, lower levels. One of their top, you know, IFA guys a couple of years ago. So now to your point, I mean, this is a, a good system in Tampa Bay, but you start looking top to bottom and they don't have a ton of shortstop options. I'd say in the short term, they might prefer to let Williams, you know, just get his reps and not rush him and give Ronnie yeah. Simon and Basabe, you know, reps out there. And I don't know when Taylor Walls is going to be back from that labrum surgery in his hip. Uh, but I can tell you that that takes a little while to get your, your 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 feet under you again, and that's just for me. That was just at a like living level. Um, I'm playing pickup basketball now again, which is nice. But like I'm getting a lot more reach arounds and people poking the ball away from me because I think I'm by them, but I'm not. Um, it, it it takes time. So I'd imagine that in the short term, yeah, I've I've always liked Ronnie Simon. I really do like Oslavis Pasabe, and those guys will get. I think they're good enough to delay any rushing of Carson Williams. But at the end of the day, if you're saying who's their long-term option, it's got to just be Carson. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie Simon, 46 games in Lydum. This guy hit 323 with a 430 OBP. Walked more than he punched out. He's five and a half years younger than the league average hitter. He had a 926 OPS, and he swept 14 bags in 46 games. Ronnie Simon was the best young player in the Dominican Winter League this winter. Dude, he was he impressed the hell out of me at the uh, Arizona Fall League when I saw him two years ago. I and I, I sent you super a text. raw. I sent you a text from like La Romana. I was like Ronnie Simon playing, and I was, I, dude, he was a fun watch for nine innings when I got to see him live this winter. It, it's he kind of plays at hundred miles an hour, and I think that was part of the problem. Super aggressive, like sometimes you're just like, okay, you know, it looks like he almost isn't even thinking. He's just just an autopilot, but. You're saying walking more than he struck out. Like, I don't care what level that he never has been doing that. Um, and, and if the defense is continuing to come along, this is a sneaky is a sneaky player that I think has always been a little overlooked and underrated because of the talent of the system. But uh, I think I was kind of surprised he wasn't even really a because uh, they didn't add him to the 40 man. And I thought he could be a guy that gets taken in the rule five wasn't. I wouldn't be surprised if he contributes a little bit this year. Ronnie Simon ran a. 14% K rate in the Dominican Winter League. Wow. <laughs> uh, they got to be amped on that. And it's probably part of the reason why they were willing to move off of Bruhan. I think they probably prefer Simon and doesn't take the 40 man spot. So, yeah. That brings us into number eight. And funny report recently, just kind of like not even a report, just kind of a quote as it pertained to, to Brooks Lee. But Brooks Lee, Minnesota Twins. I, look, it's as safe as it com- as they come, and, and that's why I, I could hear an argument for Lee being higher. Uh, personally, just the upside of of the seven guys ahead is is really the only reason. There's not anything that I don't particularly like about Lee. Like he's pretty solid across the board. The defense is is fine at shortstop. I think he's he's proven that because of his instincts, because of just he's he's a guy that you know, his father was a coach. Like you could just tell those guys like when they play the game. Who's just grown up around the game of baseball and his internal clock, the just the feel for it. He's just able to get the most out of his his average defensive tools. Uh, and then offensively, I mean, it's especially from the left side. I think the left the left handed swings way better. But just even from both sides of the plate, a plus hitter, enough juice. I think enough juice for average raw pop, but game power is probably going to be fringy. But a ton of doubles, good bat to ball. Uh, I'd like to see him be more patient. It's kind of surprising how aggressive he is, but it's just the classic, like great hit tool, aggressive hitter type of situation. But 
he's a high floor, just about big league ready guy. Uh, and, and, you know, I know the twins are just waiting for him to let them know that he's ready. John Morosi on, ooh, this was January 28th. The twins plan for infielder Brooks Lee to begin 2024 at AAA per GM Thad Levine. Levine continued, quote, when he tells us he's ready to go, we're going to get him up to the big leagues. So naturally, my hypothetical was Brooks Lee texts Thad Levine in mid-May and says, I'm just not ready yet. Yeah, like, no, I, I need a little more time. Why would a player like you're telling me that Brooks Lee is not going to go up to Thad Levine at some point this spring and be like, I feel good. I'm ready so, to be up on opening day. So, you know, what my interpretation of that was, and I just think it was just portrayed kind of poorly by both parties involved here is that I think he meant when he shows us that he's ready, right? Like when like telling us right. through his performance, but I just think that the phrasing is so bizarre, but I ask you now, what is that? look like like what what does he need to tell them on the field to to say that he is ready for me the number one thing is 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 approach because he was running a chase rate around 30 percent he was swinging at a lot of sliders and and swinging at a lot of elevated fastballs and like those are the two things elevated fastball sliders like that's what they do in major league baseball more than like it's just it's it's ad nauseum so i think that's probably the specific thing that they're looking at that, in addition to probably better numbers from the right side, at the end of the day, that's not going to be what stops you from getting there. But when you get a 600 OPS from the right side, and I mean, this guy was chasing at a 35% clip from the right side, fastballs chasing it over a 40% clip, just the right side just is far from big league ready. Like if you look at just the right side in a vacuum, it looks like he would get kind of blown up a little bit. So I think that might be part of it uh, is – more balanced splits and just a little bit better selectivity. Otherwise I think everything else about his game says I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. I, I mean, he seriously took a step back in triple a last year. The OPS dropped over a hundred points from double a AA to triple a. And like he was hitting the crap out of the ball. He had 11 homers in 87 games in double a. And then he jumps up to triple a, and, you know, he's hardly getting on base at a 300 clip. He had a 304 OBP in 38 AAA games. My thing is like, and I, I got to call him for two weeks, I want to say. I think I saw him in two separate two-week spurts. And, you know, like he was kind of dangerous one week, but the other week he just he didn't feel dangerous. And danger is like one of my favorite words of the offseason right now. But, I, I mean, like there was really minimal threat from him in that lineup. Like Austin yeah. Martin seemed to pose more of a threat than Brooks Lee at points. And that, that can't happen. So I think they're looking for a bit yeah. more danger and that's something that you can see in the production department. Yeah. And, and I think that part of that was giving away at bats. Um, it just, I think he, he was able to get away with being aggressive at the other levels and, and get away with maybe chasing a fastball outside of the zone because you're not going to get him to do it two more times or you're not going to get him to whiff two more times you know, at the lower levels. But now in AAA, you're talking to some guys that have you know, made the jump from double to triple. A lot of what they talk about is is the fastballs at the top of the zone are just more consistent and just have a little bit more ride. Um, and of course, you're going to find some freaks in double A, especially if you're in the Southern League and whatever. But it's just the consistency at the top of the zone and the consistent ride at the top of the zone. It was was an adjustment for for guys I've talked to that have made that that jump from double to triple. And and if you look at just the the data for Lee, like chase rate skyrocketed uh, when he got to triple A, uh, specifically on fastballs too. Like in his triple A, and this is from both sides of the plate, in his triple A 
stint, he was chasing fastballs at a 42% clip. Like that's really high. Uh, and that's really expansive uh, for a guy that, you know, needs to grind out at bats who, you know, I think the hit tool is great, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be you know, plus plus to, to get away with those kind of chase rates, right? Like no one's going to talk about Luis Arias's chase rate, but you know, there's not very many hitters that are that good bat to ball that they're Luis Arias. Right. So I, I think that's a little bit of the, the, the issue there. Um, but he has flashed the ability to, you know, hit the ball out of the yard, especially to the pole side. His left-handed swing is really nice. Like really one of my favorite, just like, when everything's on time, like very compact, can really crush baseballs more than you'd think from that frame. But at the same time, need more consistency, need a better approach. And I think his AAA stint was kind of him telling the Twins, I'm not quite ready yet. Yeah. Number seven, guy that could move off of the position, but I still have enough hope that he can stick there. And I actually think he gets a little bit undersold on his defensive ability. So I'm going to make the case for Colt Emerson, who I, I almost wanted to push a little bit higher, but we'll talk about some of the guys ahead of him and, and why they got the edge. But Colt Emerson of the Seattle Mariners. I mean, when you look at what Emerson did, and I know it's a small sample. And one of the things that I think as an industry, we got to do, you know, keep ourselves accountable and, and make sure that we're not doing is, overvaluing small sample sizes in pro debuts because usually you're going to get that that small sample size in a pro debut uh, and and guys can really perform there and then they get a more challenging assignment and have to endure 100 games the next year and things don't look the same way because if you include Colt Emerson's postseason games where he went nuts in, in, in low A, um, and you really just look at what he did over the that's 28 cumulative cumulative games, 391, 500, 555 slash line um, yeah. with a 14% walk rate, 16% K rate. I mean, that's absolutely insane. It's a really, really impressive swing already. A little bit too much of a forward move that I do think we could get exposed a bit more at, at more challenging levels, but his path is so clean. His athleticism in the box is very clear. Um and he's able to get away with it, sometimes even being on that front foot, hitting balls hard the other way. I, I do think that it's going to be hard to get away with that forward drift a bit more against more challenging competition. So it, that's something to monitor. And it, and it can sap the power a bit, especially to the pull side. And if you look at the spray charts a lot the other way, because when you are sliding forward, you're going to have that bat drag a bit. And it's hard to turn things around and turn on pitches when you're also moving forward. You can't kind of move forward and rotate at the same time. But the feel to hit, the bat speed, the approach, the the projection that's here, this guy can be an absolute monster. And it looks like the Mariners did it again in terms of finding a high floor bat with a good approach who can climb quickly, who you still have plenty to dream on as well. Zanesville, Ohio, has a population of 24,000 people. And they have produced 22-year-old Colt Keith and 18-year-old wow. Colt Emerson. <laughs> Two guys named Colt from Zanesville, Ohio, in a four-year stretch have That's been crazy. dogs in minor league baseball. I thought that was so weird seeing that. I was that like, weird. Hmm, 18-year-old from Zanesville. Where have I seen Zanesville? I was like, oh, Colt Keith. And Colt kind of bounced around. He's in the, he's out of the Biloxi area now. Uh, or Keith kind of bounced around. He's in Colt. the uh, yeah, So you didn't yeah, narrow Colt. it down enough. Sorry. <laughs> Colt Keith um, bounced around. He's in the Biloxi area now. But uh, Colt Emerson meant, yeah, like, I, I think the one thing that I took away from just like the Modesto nuts highlights that I saw was he, he looks big and athletic, kind of same deal as uh, 
watching the, the scrimmage video at Chase Burns at Wake Forest. I was oh. like, wow, you look leaner and more gross now. The thing about yeah. Emerson was like tall, long, lean, athletic. He had, I think, the perfect body for a pro shortstop. And one of the youngest players in this draft class. He's going to be 18 for the majority of the season. He doesn't turn 19 until July 20th. So yeah. to do what he did already, and you talk about like kind of sneaky strength and athleticism, he had seven batted balls in 28 games, 107 miles an hour and above, which is remarkable. And I just talked about how you could unlock more power through just getting the lower half a little bit more consistent, being a little bit more under control. I think you could dream on you know above average pop here. And, and a plus hit tool. This is a dude that, again, you don't want to over overreact to 28 games, but it's really hard to, to not be really excited about what he did. And then you look at the swing path and these other things and, and it all looks good. And then defensively, I do think that he, I've seen some mixed reports, but I think that the hands work really well, like very soft. He, he, I think is pretty smooth in terms of the way that he's able to throw from different angles. I've seen him make throws, you know, across his body, even if the range is fringy, being able to make these throws, get the ball out quick and, and having above average arm strength. And, and I think that really compensates for it. So I think he can be an average defender at shortstop. So I, I'm, I'm excited about what Emerson's already doing. And he's going to be one of my favorite guys to, to monitor this coming year. Cool. Number six, Marcelo Meyer. And Another player who is difficult to peg. We're going to get into Meyer a little bit more in just a moment. But before that, a quick break. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Jumping back in now at number six is Marcelo Meyer, the Boston Red Sox, number four overall pick in 2021. And just a really exciting piece when you think about what it could all look like. Above average power from the left side plus defender, maybe even a little bit better than a plus defender at shortstop. I mean, what he's able to do there is just impressive as it gets. He's one of my favorite guys to watch play the position just because he makes the routine look so aesthetically pleasing and smooth. And then he's able to make these tough plays. Just another guy that has just continued to get better and better and better as he gains reps at shortstop. The question is, is the hit tool? And we've talked about it a little bit. We we talked about it uh, when we went into the Red Sox top prospects and and some of the concerns that I have. I think it ultimately is kind of a fringy hit tool when you consider there's a little bit of length. There's a lot of moving parts in terms of uh, the barrel tip that he struggles to time up. He also kind of struggled to time it up in in tandem with his his load and, and his stride. And it's something that we saw Nick York struggle with as well. And, you know, that's why he's had his hands all over the place and it makes me a little concerned. I'm like, are, are the Red Sox going to be able to help Marcelo Meyer find a little bit more uh, smoothness and consistency? Because once the swing is underway, it's a smooth stroke and he can create loft to all fields. Uh, we've seen him pull balls 112 miles an hour. We've seen him you know, inside out swing balls the other way that just carry and keep going. Like he creates plenty of leverage, but there is a little bit of length. There is just some inconsistency with his moves. And I just think that barrel tip is, is hard for him to time up and, and consistently, uh, I think, 
have in the same spot when the pitcher is breaking his hands or at release or whatever it may be. Like I would pause it. And every time I'd pause his bat or his, his load would be in a different point. A lot of, a lot of times when the pitcher was, was getting ready to, to release the ball. And that's typically going to make things difficult for you and typically going to make it hard to one way off of pitches and two, you know, put good swings on secondary stuff. And that was the issue for Meyer. So we talked about Meyer's injuries. Uh, that shoulder definitely impacted him in double A uh, quite a bit. But I also think that he was going to struggle in double A regardless with some of the yellow flags that we have here. Yeah. So hit was kind of the separator between him and Lawler in the draft, right? Lawler was okay. He's got the speed and defense edge, but Meyer clearly had the power edge and the big differentiator was hit. And that's why a lot of people liked Meyer more than Lawler in the draft. And now that the hit is dissipating, it's like, okay, well, there goes one of your advantages over the guy that you were compared with. And it was apples to apples because you were two prep shortstops. Um, I I just find that weird. And it's not like it's not Tamar Johnson level where the profile is just totally different than what you expected. But like clearly injury had something to do with it. But that's my thing, man. Like I, I just scratch my head because I'm like, wasn't hit what everybody was supposed to like salivate over? Yeah. And I mean, it's, I think it was one of those situations too, where it's an aesthetically pleasing swing. So you, you're, you, you like to just kind of throw that in with, with a plus hit tool. Right. Like people and, thought Cody Bellinger had a plus hit tool because it yeah. was a pretty swing. It's not a plus hit tool. It's a pretty swing. You got it. And then you got to look at the the contact rates. You got to look at the swings that he's taking on balls. You got to see the adjustability and like there's more to, to a hit tool than I think adjustability is way more important to a hit tool than just like that swing looks pretty. Right. Like and, and yes, path is really important, too. But being able to adjust is is as important as it gets. And, and Meyer, it's kind of similar to same swing at a, at a lot of different pitches. I think that the the problem for him was velocity was getting on him. And that was probably because of the timing inconsistency. I think with, with the improvements he made to the bat speed, being able to tap into more raw power, he, he was quicker to the ball. But I think with his movement patterns, it was he felt rushed. And when he felt rushed, he had to cheat a little bit more. And when you have to cheat a little bit more, you're going to be over aggressive, which 38% chase rate against fastballs. And you're going to struggle to lay off of breaking balls and you're going to struggle to hit breaking balls. And he hit 105 against breaking balls this past year. So I know he was hurt, but you could even kind of sort that back to his first 50 games, right? And I don't think he was hurt the entire, we'll we'll go 40 games. You sort it back to the first 40 games. He's hit below 100 against breaking balls. So this was an issue regardless. And I, you know, I I know that if you're a Red Sox fan, you're going to want to be like, Oh, he was injured. Easy. We'll just blame everything on that. Uh, There's things that he needs to figure out and work through regardless. That said, he did show some improvement with the power. He did continue to show improvement with the defense. And if he can even be a fringy hitter, he's got above average power, probably plus raw power that he can grow into. He still has plenty of room to grow. He's still very young. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to bet on that glove at short all day long. Left-handed hitter with with potentially plus power and you know, a good glove at short, That's that's a top prospect. Yeah, and like worst case scenario, he's a fun everyday shortstop. Best case scenario, he's a perennial all-star. Worst yep. case scenario, he's an everyday shortstop that has some flaws in his offensive game. Yep. And and I think that's why people are really high on him still. You see him ranked really, really high. But when you compare him to the, you know, when we talk about apples to apples, I'd just rather have a guy like Cole Young. Yep. And the thing, the reason why Cole Young gets the edge is that the glove 
is close enough. It's not going to be elite, but it's really good. It's an above average glove at shortstop. So that was enough because that was like the one big separator for Meyer, right? And then you could look at maybe power, but Cole Young is sneaky. It's about kind of hard. And then when you have the bat to ball skills that Young has, like, yes, if it was hit over everything and Young is a candidate to potentially move to second base, Meyer's going to get the nod over it. Even if Young's an average defender at best at shortstop, maybe Meyer gets the edge. But Young is an above average defender at shortstop, is a plus hitter, potentially plus, you know, I, I think fringe plus plus, but it's probably going to settle close to the like plus and a half range. I have him as a, a 65 on the hit tool. And then I don't think people realize that this guy can can get into balls like he hit several 110 miles an hour uh, this past year. And he is one of the most patient hitters that you're going to find at the lower level. So just so much of a safer profile, but still so much to like and so much to look forward to that young gets the edge for me. He's also younger as well. And yes, he didn't play at the double a level, but put up really good numbers at high a he's going to get up to double a now. And you know, as far as I'm concerned with Meyer, like he's, this might as well be his first taste of double a next year as well, or this coming year, since we're you know kind of riding off a lot of the struggles due to, due to injury. So with young, you have a chase rate below 20%. You have great bat to ball skills. Talk about adjustability. This guy gets to pitches that are outrageous. I tweeted one uh, during the season where he swings at a ball that runs in, I think like four or five inches off the plate inside. Not only does he get to it, he keeps it fair. And it was a fastball, keeps it fair down the line for a double. And I'm just like, this guy can do things with a bat that not a lot of hitters can do. And then you think back to his like origin story. This guy won like the, the, whatever the competition was, was like the hit, run, and pitch competition that they used to do. You remember that? Like, was that was RBI? Like yeah, hit, pitch, Yeah, run. he won yeah. that when he was 12, and he hit uh, 500 at every stop in high school. Like, he's just hey, raked on the summer circuit. Like, baseball's just come easy to this guy forever, and it hasn't slowed down professionally. And then defensively, nothing jumps out, but he stays so low to the ground. He's so smooth. Uh, he, he really just seems like he's automatic if it's routine, and he's, he's athletic enough to make, you know, the – the not routine doable. Uh, he's not going to make the superstar plays that Meyer can make, but he'll make some good plays. But for me, it's enough power with an easy plus hit tool and an elite approach. And I think it's just easy to, to be really amped up about Cole Young and, and expect him to be, you know, I think that the future at shortstop once JP Crawford's you know time is up. Yeah. He struck out more than Maurer did in high school. So he's cooked. Um <laughs> I he walked more than he struck out, by the way. Walked more than he struck out this year. Yeah, I mean, like, his stat line is flawless, actually. There, there's not a hole you poke in there. The the one thing that, like, I guess I didn't really understand about Cole Young, and I just kind of assumed he was, like, you know, slap the ball around, hit a bunch of doubles. Like, he was producing those EVs, and that's what I gathered from the write-up that I, like, had no idea that was a real thing. I was like, oh, you know, 10 to 15 homers, that's going to be his guy. Like, that's going to be his thing. He was 19 years old. When he's 22, who's to say that finishing puberty can't result in 15 to 20 homers? Yep. Yep. And and 20 bombs, I think, is attainable. And if he gets to 20 with all-star, that, that ability to walk, doesn't K, feel to hit. And, and even if it's not, if it doesn't totally manifest into home runs, he's going to be one of the best doubles hitters, I think, in the game if it, if it all comes together. He had nine triples last year, too. He can motor. Uh, and he sprays it to all fields. His spray chart, it does not discriminate. Like, it is impressive. So, yeah, I think that's the thing. I'm glad you mentioned that. I think that's the thing that people probably 
underestimate the most with Cole Young is in his age 19 season, he's putting up one tens, multiple one tens. Yeah. So if he has another tick or two in there, and that's he hits the ball in the air enough, 20 home runs isn't outrageous or 15 home runs and a ton of doubles. It all gets you to the same place slugging wise. If, if if you're willing to hit, you know, two doubles for every one homer, and I think you could easily do that uh, compared to a lot of other hitters that would be in the 20 home run range. And mix in nine triples too. That helps the slug. Absolutely. Moving into number four, and I mean, it's crazy that he's only the number four. It just shows you how good the position is. The number four shortstop prospect in the game, Colson Montgomery, the White Sox. I mean, this, this swing is just outrageous if you're watching. 6'4", 205 pounds, but able to control his body the way that he does is is pretty wild. Um, it, I just I just think it's it's what stands out the most to me is that you would expect this guy to come with so much whiff, right? With, with the power that he has, with how big and long he is. But he not only makes a ton of contact, he's a plus hitter or projects to at least be close to it. I think it's at least well above average, but I think that he can settle into a, being a plus hitter sub 20% chase rate as well. And he hits the ball really hard. And I think has even more room for strength. We, I mean, you look at him, he's six, four, two Oh five long levers could probably put on another 10 pounds of muscle easily. And he's already flashing exit velocities as high as I think 113 miles an hour. Like I'm excited to see what it all looks like when he really, fills out a little bit more, but if he's able to keep, you know, that adjustability and, and looseness to his swing could be really scary. He like, I'm trying to think of what kind of mold he fits into or what kind of blend he, he can be of like, Hey, you combine these attributes of this player, this like these attributes of another guy. And I just, I don't think there's a hitter going right now at the shortstop position of major league baseball that does what Colson Montgomery does. He's a big guy, so naturally you think, okay, big left-handed hitting shortstop Seager. No, like, can't do that to him just yet. No, but, but I would say that Seager Light is the closest thing. Like, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about it. If you're 75% of Corey Seager, like, wow. it's freaking awesome. And I think he uh, could be that. But there are also, like, differences in the approach, too. Like, Seager is a first-piss hunter, and he's not necessarily, like, you know, going to work a bunch of ABs. He's got, you know, more plate discipline, but he's probably, you know, a tick worse defensively. And I, I don't know. Do you think that speed and defense is going to hinder him at any point in his career? Do you think how much third base risk does Colson Montgomery have? I guess is the question that I'm trying to get to. I think it really, I, at this present moment, I think he's more than solid at shortstop. My concern is, you know, we talk about adding some strength. Maybe he doesn't need to because, like, if he does, then maybe that slows him down. I'm just a little concerned about what the body might look like because you see this dude in person, and you can even see it in, like, this this short little clip here. Like, right. It, he looks like a guy that could end up filling out and and, and being a, a big dude. And if he fills out more, it, there might be some risk because right now I think the the range is just good enough. I think that the tools are solid enough to, to, to play a good shortstop, but – I think if he continues to to fill out more, it, it, there's there's a probably a coin flip chance that he he moves over to third, where he would be fantastic and the offensive profile would more than play. But I think that's the underrated aspect of it because he is going to be just 22 years old. He has battled some injuries here and there, so they may want him to to add a little bit more strength. I don't know, you know, how, how that pertains to injury prevention or things like that. Maybe not, uh, but 
I just that's the one thing. If he fills out a bit more, he he might have to move off. That said, as he presently is built, I think he's got the goods to to be an average shortstop. Yeah, and they're going to give him a go. I was listening to Chris Getz talk about the younger guys that came back in the return for Gregory Santos and and then talking about Dominic Fletcher too, moving off of Christian Mena. And again, we'll talk about that on Wednesday, but I was listening to Getz and he made a point to say, you know, we don't think Colson Montgomery is that far off. I think there's a chance September rolls around. They're already flirting with a hundred losses. They may just get this cat up and be like, Hey, go play shortstop every day. And we'll see how that looks at the major league level. And we'll assess from there between 24 and 25. Yeah. And I think that's what you do with a guy that's that valuable. And and yeah, it's like the starter situation, right? When you're a team like that and you're in Chris Getz's situation, like try guys a starter until, you know, you think he has to be a reliever and then I mean, you move him to the bullpen. They're going back to the crochet thing. So like this yeah. is the year to try everything. <laughs> yeah. And and the thing is he's going to hit so well. It's like the Bichette situation. Even if the defense is like, meh, it's fine. It's okay. It's fine. If you don't have a, lights out shortstop then who cares like if he's going to be good enough even if he slows down i think to play a passable shortstop but it's just will he play an average one or slightly above i think he can right now we'll see how the body continues to develop a guy that can definitely play uh an average shortstop already does and i think could play an above average shortstop and sneakily has a pretty big frame too is jackson merrill of the san diego padres and merrill though because of big league implications could end up playing any assortment of left field. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried him in center. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried him at second. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried him anywhere because that's the Padres way. That's the AJ Preller way. But speaking to Jackson Merrill, the prospect isolated from any other, you know, aspects of this real quick. And then we'll talk about where he fits in and how that works. Him himself is a good shortstop. He can play an above average shortstop and and has no problem sticking at the position. I have no concern. He, he, when you look at his frame, it's different. I don't see as much of the potential to, to slow down significantly. He's worked kind of the opposite, adding strength and adding quickness. He, he did that. I talked to him about that in the fall league, and we saw the results of that. He's still working to tap into that power in games, uh, I think, the way that he, he, he is capable of. Like, you see this clip here, and, I mean, when he gets into him, he can lift it and he can demolish him, but he's still hit over power at this stage. And he might always be hit over power. Merrill, to me, is is similar to the Yelich situation where you might not see the power come through until year three or four in the big leagues. But he's still going to be a productive hitter because there's enough power and he's such a good hitter. Uh, again, I'm not comparing him to Christian Yelich, but I do think there's some similarities with the frame, the athleticism, the field to hit. And everyone's like, oh, I can see so much power potential here. And you're like waiting and waiting and waiting. You start to wonder if it'll never come. I'm not going to wonder if it'll never come until he's like 26. He's still yeah. just 20. He's not going to turn 21 until uh, right when the season starts. I, I think that's the one missing piece here, though, is, is how much power he, he he can you know tap into. But it's an easy plus field to hit. A little bit aggressive, but he cut that down as the season progressed. And he's just a good athlete, man. He's just a really well-rounded player, elite makeup. One of my favorite prospects in baseball. Yeah. One of my takeaways from that type of like conversation of, you know, hey, how much power is he going to tap into? And you mentioned it. He he already looks physically mature. He looks filled out. So I don't think it's a matter of growing physically as opposed to like, hey, maybe slight swing tweak if he does want to tap into more power, that kind of thing. Um, He kind of did that, too, um, to your point. 
you look at the first 60 games, ground ball rate around 48%. The subsequent 55 games, ground ball rate around 37%. Yeah, so it, it feels like a tangible adjustment that he's making instead of, well, I got to hit the weight room more and I got to eat 3,000 calories a day. That yeah. isn't necessarily the case because he already passes the eye test with flying colors. He's he's more filled out. I mentioned this about Colt Keith on the Just Baseball show. Like he's more filled out than a 20-year-old should be or a 21-year-old should be. So yeah. it's not it's not like, hey, if only we got some meat on those bones. And I think that was the Yelich thing. It was like, oh, just yeah. imagine if this guy had biceps. Like, not Yeah, and, and I know Yelich for, from stories I've heard just did not really like the weight room at all. So it's, like, it's a difference Merrill's. Merrill's yeah, I hate the weight room too. Uh, but Mer- Merrill's the total opposite where it's like he's a he's a gym rat. Like he's and that's why I think you, you saw the EVs also tick up in the in the second half of the season. You saw the chase rate drop a little bit. And all of that happening with the strikeout rate remaining at 12%, walk rate at nine percent when we're seeing him face the most challenging competition. That Texas League is no joke. Yeah, the ball's gonna fly a little bit more, but you gotta hit it for it to fly. And and he was hitting it. So it was it was nice to see him get better and better as the year went on. And, and I thought, yeah, I think it was a little bit of a slow finish over the last 10 games or so, but it was a long season for him, 114 games all in, all included. Uh, but I, I thought he put himself in a, in a position here where in 2024, I, I, I expect him to debut this year. And I think he's somebody that if he has a strong camp and, and the, the Padres are in a unique spot, I wouldn't be shocked if he could – surprise people and and make the opening day roster. I, I think he's that good. And I think they're going to like his attitude and makeup that much that they think he can handle that. It might be in left. So they've been giving him some, some action out there at the end of the year. Um, but that sounds fine to me. They need some, some speed and, and, and bat to ball and just another good left-handed bat in that lineup. Uh, it could be an open competition between Merrill, Marcy, uh, Pauly, or, Someone that they sign elsewhere. We'll we'll find out. Cal Mitchell. Cal Mitchell, too. Non-roster <laughs> invitee. Don't sleep on Cal. Number two. I know one of Jack's favorite prospects out there and a guy that we're hoping will get plenty of action at the big league level. But I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Lawler starts the year in triple uh, just to work on some things, get some more ABs, and then maybe they bring him out, up if, if Geraldo Perdomo is not performing. We'll get into that a little bit more in a moment. But, I mean... Jordan Waller's just just awesome. I it, it's really hard to to not be excited about you know, what this guy can do and and potentially what the Diamondbacks have here uh, in in their former you know first round top 10 pick. It's just a really fun profile across the board. You got plus plus wheels, you got a good feel to hit, uh, but what stands out to me is you know, he's not going to put up 115 mile an hour EVs. He's probably not even really going to put up 113 mile an hour EVs. But he hits the ball in the air so consistently and creates such effortless backspin that the ball just seems to fly off his bat and keep going and keep going and keep going. And that doesn't matter about the environment. It doesn't matter where he's in. Like he creates leverage and the ball just takes off. Like it's it's that beach ball when you throw it backwards, right? It just rides up in the air. Like that's what it does off of the bat for him a lot of times. And uh, he, he combines a good feel to hit, especially against fastballs. He's got to improve his ability to recognize spin and hit spin. And we saw that kind of exposed at the big league level a bit. So that's why I think he might just kind of go to triple a and, and, and get some action there and just continue to get better and better at recognizing spin and, and driving it the other way. He's a guy that does really like to get to his pull side. And that tends to happen for guys that like to lift. If you're, if you have a swing, that's kind of lofty, 
it's easy to be lofty to the pull side. It's, it's, it's a lot harder to be lofty, you know, the other way. And uh, that's usually a, a swing that really lives in the zone for a long time. He's short and quick and, and kind of punchy levers. So to create that, that leverage, sometimes it's, it's gotta be to the pull side, but he's got to learn to, to stay on balls a bit more, drive them to the whole field. He's definitely a guy where you look at the spray chart, it's going to be much more dense on the uh, left side of the field there. So that's the one side of it. And I think that's kind of what resulted in some challenges at the big league level, but he hedges that with, a really good approach uh, looks for the pitches that he can lift and do damage on. And then if he can't, you know, I, I want to see what the two strike approach looks like, or at least the all fields approach looks like that was the one wrinkle that I think was missing from his game, but great defender at shortstop plus plus runner, good field to hit taps into every ounce of his power in games. Uh Lawler is a special player, 21 years old. Is he the best defender on this list or is Joey Ortiz? Ortiz and Meyer. I, I think Meyer's like, I think Meyer's a you do think Meyer's a better defender. I do think Meyer's a better defender. I think Ortiz, I think he's the third best defender on this list, Lawler. Okay. Um, I like that point that you make about backspin because that is something that will play in the corners at Chase Field. Like he's not going to hit balls 440 feet to left center and, and do the Longo thing where it's midway up that, you know, that row of bleachers. But like those are tight corners in Arizona. They, that ballpark just kind of jets out dimension wise. So, yeah. Uh, I, I like the idea of him just hunting foul poles and you know, like that's going to result in triples. This guy's going to hit a bunch of triples with Arizona being his home ballpark. Oh yeah. He's going to beat guys over the head too. Like in, you know, in the gaps and things like that. And, and we've seen him flash the ability to go the other way. So like, I think starting to see that he can be off to the races. You know, we always talk about David Peralta and how he, he was pacing the league in triples, just playing right. out there in Arizona. Uh, yeah. He could be a guy that is a, triples machine out there uh, and just so many extra base hits. But as you mentioned, like the straightaway areas, I think he can hit 20, 20 home runs or so out there. Um, and with his profile with well above average defense, maybe it is pretty darn close to the other two. Um, I think just the arm strength kind of separates the other two a little bit. Uh, Lawler. I mean, that's, that's a four five, one player. If it all comes together, uh, especially with the new rules and, and how much I think he could be an impact on the base paths uh, more than, pretty much anybody else that we talked about on this list. Yeah. How many bags do you think you can dream on with this guy? What did he have last year? 36 in 41 attempts in 105 minor league games. I think 40 easily. I think, I think you could dream on dream on 50. I think you can dream on 50 bags. So if he's giving you 50 bags, like I think if he's getting on base, he's, he walks a ton. He's got an average hit tool, maybe slightly above. He's going to get on base. I think like you said, dream. I think you can dream on, on 50 in, in a great season, but I think realistically like 30 to 40, even when he's only getting on base, maybe at a three thirty clip his first year or whatever, I think is, is easily doable. Number one, not much suspense here. <laughs> I feel like we're going to talk about him as just the number one in whatever ranking we're going to do here. But, uh, what's the what's the approach we want to take with Jackson Holiday here? We can, I guess, kind of say what separates him from his peers at, at two and three, I guess, right? Like, sure. like Jackson Holiday's number one Baltimore Orioles prospect, if you, if you didn't know that. I'd assume if you listen to the show, you, you, you probably knew that. Uh, if not, welcome to, to the call-up and welcome to, to baseball. Uh, but, yeah, he's the best shortstop prospect. Do you know how good his high school stats were? Yeah. Um, I don't like, I, I don't, he's great. He's a, he's a 60 runner like you have there. So he is a threat for 30 bags, 
you know, in in his best year. But man, like it's the hit tool that just trumps all. He he's not yeah. the most powerful guy at this position, although he is one of. He's not the best fielder at this position, although he could blossom into one of. But it's the hit tool. You've got and 65 future. You don't think that thing can be a 70 future hit I, tool? It, it probably could be. The contact, it's it's he's a tough one because I think he transcends the contact rates because of just how much of a natural he is. Like I you look at like zone contact and overall contact and things like that. And I think I think if he really wanted to, he could probably have plus plus um you know contact rates. But I honestly think he's somebody that gets his A swing off early in the count and then isn't afraid to swing and miss because he knows later in the count he can grind it out, get to any pitch and and survive. And that's why he didn't strike out too much for a guy that climbed three levels. Uh, was it three levels last year? Uh, could have been four. I thought it was four. It was low A. It was four. Yeah, so climbed four levels last year. So, like, yeah, it's it's hard to to totally predict a plus plus because generally, like, there's just like a certain contact rate. Like, I, I'm looking at the swings and I'm looking at that, but usually a certain contact rate. You want to be at least within shouting distance of to to get to that plus plus range. And you know, he wasn't quite there, but also it's fair to note that he literally was in triple a in his age 19 season and a year where he also started in low a and walked 103 times. So I, I think the big thing for him and I I've, I'm, I'm a proponent of it. I do think that there should just be an overall hit. Like it's not just hit tool. It's just like hit. And and I think walk should be baked into that because your ability to get on base should, you know, where else are we factoring that? And that's something that's incredibly important. So I, I, that's a whole nother conversation that we'll have one of these days, but his approach is just so, so good. Another guy that just grew up around the game and he could, it just, it just oozes in the way that he plays that he grew up around the game and that he has a batting cage in his you know apartment basically. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think when you look at what he does well, it's the bat to ball is proficient. The approach is, is elite. Uh, the, the bloodlines being there, the projection being there, but there's just really not one thing that you can poke that's wrong with his game. And, and I think the only concern nation and not even concern, the only question is how much power is going to be there. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot more like he's a bigger dude than you think in terms of like the frame. And if he adds a little bit more strength, we talked about this in the Orioles episode, like then you can easily see that that plus power, at least well above average. But when you can drive the ball to all fields the way that he does, uh, when you have just the the knack for the game that he has, when you walk at a 17 percent clip, climbing four levels as a 19 year old, uh, it's pretty hard to not say that this is a better than plus, you know, offensive profile and that. He's as safe as they come with still plenty of upside. By the way, hit 288 against lefties as well while climbing those four levels. Yeah. Uh, important to note that he got worse at every level to the point where he sucked in AAA. Uh, 1,200 OPS in low A, 940 OPS in double or in a high A, 930 OPS in triple. And then, oh my God, an 800 OPS in AAA and 91 plate appearances. And his OBP was under 400. For the oh, first no. time, he had a 396 OBP. Why didn't anyone tell us this? Does he stink? <laughs> we got to drop him down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I don't even know what else we can say about this guy. The last thing I'll say probably is the defense is presently average, but you can see the, the ingredients to be above average. He's going to probably play second, though. And if he yeah. plays second, he's going to be elite. Or at least That's really, really good. They also might not even ask him to play shortstop at any point, depending on what they do with Gunnar Henderson. New ownership is going to tell us a lot in the next two years. And I think Gunnar is probably looking at Carroll 
and at Bobby Witt at this point and being like, okay, now pay me. And if they mm-hmm. do, then Holiday is the long-term second baseman in Baltimore. And that turns him from a passable shortstop to an average shortstop to a high-level second baseman. And a guy that's going to be giving you way too much offense for second base, which is great. You know, like that, that's going to be that has the potential to be the most insane middle infield tandem we've seen in, in a while. If Bro, those guys like, both reach their ceilings. I, I don't want to do this to him, but like it's Altuve level production at second base. It's Marcus Semien over the last couple of years. It's yeah. six win season at second base. And it's funny. I like the Semien comp because it's like Semien's got to play a good shortstop, really solid shortstop. Certain years, some some years not as good, but like definitely was capable of playing there. They moved him to second. He's an elite defender there. And then you're like seeing the offensive production and it's almost apples to oranges outside of Altuve and maybe one or two other guys where Albies as well in terms of the offense where you're just saying, it's almost unfair to compare these guys to these, you know, mortal second basemen. These guys are, you know, basically other positions that moved over to second base and just out slugging everybody. And I think that's what Holiday will do, but it does take some of the pressure off the, the power too. If, if it does turn out to be more, 15 to 20 homers, then, you know, it makes a little bit more sense at second base. But if it is 15 to 20 homers, it's still going to be absurdly high OBP, high, high batting average. And another guy just shit ton of doubles. Yeah, I I don't think a lot of people would realize like how quickly that guy could jump into tier one in second baseman. Because tier one right now is Semyon Altuve, Albies. Yeah, Yeah. probably. Arias. Arise is there too, but like Holiday joins that list very quickly if everything goes according to plan. Like if he's hitting 300 with a 400 OBP, he's in that tier one because he's better than tier two. He might create his own tier. Yeah, you could put like Cattell Marte in there, but you, you could again, you could say like pretty quickly that he's right there with those guys. And yeah, that's that's fun. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to see what it all looks like. Like, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he's better than Bryson Stott immediately. Right. Like you're right. talking about like, that's kind of like the next tier. So I, I think Orioles fans are, it's a good, it's a good time to be an Orioles fan. That's all. I'll yeah. Say. You got a great problem with Gunnar and holiday, both playing short. Oh my gosh. And then, and then Westbrook. Westbrook is your utility yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, it's he's, the same. You had to get rid of Ortiz though, and, and only get a, uh, you know, Cy Young contender in return. So whatever. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for O's fans. We're going to be talking Yankees top prospects probably at the end of the week, but we'll be filling in with uh, kind of talk about these trades on Wednesday. So keep an eye out for that. Um, really appreciate the feedback that we've been getting on, you know, the potential bonus episode doing that on the weekend. So definitely something that I think we're going to start to explore probably after the Super Bowl, maybe a little bit closer to spring training. Uh, and I'll continue to flesh out some thoughts. Again, if you have specific things that you want us to cover, I've been told a little bit of everything from card, you know, the card market, talking about that, uh, being able to talk about just things that are going on in the minor leagues week to week and things that have stood out to, to us that maybe we didn't have time to, to get to kind of just like a weekend recap maybe, or like a week recap where I just fly through some things and, and fly through some starts or outings or, or weeks offensively that stood out to me. Um, and, and we can talk about mailbags, fantasy stuff, whatever can make it kind of a, a Jack of all trades episode. Um, just again, just any feedback has been helpful. And I really appreciate all the people that have reached out and shared some thoughts on that. So excited to potentially get that rolling relatively soon if you leave a rating help us grow the show i'd really appreciate it subscribe to the youtube some fun stuff coming out on there as we get closer to the season as always thank you for listening look forward to talking prospects with you on wednesday
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.